Welcome, everyone. How you doing? Happy Friday. Welcome to Silicon Slopes. Are the subs good? Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I'm so excited about today's guest. One of my favorite people in all of Utah. We had her husband on Monday as the warm-up act, but uh, this is the main event here. Please welcome the First Lady of Utah, Abby Cox. Thank you for having me here. This is very exciting. Thank you. So um, I want to start with like, like the first lady role is, is kind of interesting. It's not like a political role. It's not a partisan role. And, and you really get to focus on like certain initiatives and certain programs and things like that. That's all about like, how do we make Utah better? And you've chosen to do this thing called show up, um, show up Utah. I'd love like, maybe we start there and dig in on why you chose that and kind of how it's been going. Yeah, it's um, being the first lady is a really, oh, hey, Amy. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I just realized I know her. <laughs> um, I, this, it really is a really interesting role and a, a position, I guess. I don't even know what to call it. Um, you know, you, you go through this campaign together as a team and then you sort of, divide and conquer when you <laughs> and and so Spencer's doing all this you know the political work and the really sticky messy stuff and I try to stay as as far away from that as I can um, but also I do have an opportunity which is really fun to to have a spotlight um, to bring uh, awareness and really make change in some places that I feel really passionate about and you know after becoming the first lady after being a stay-at-home mom for 23 years, I really had to dig back and dig through my experiences to remember um, what I was passionate about, what I am passionate about, and, and really use the things that I've learned along the way to, to um, make things happen. And really, I, so show up really came about because I was trying to figure out um, you know, what are the best ways that I can help inspire Utahns to really do the things they're already doing, but bring spotlight to people that are doing incredible things throughout the state. And really what I saw through the campaign, and you're all seeing this again now, and you'll see it again in a couple of years, and you see it in the media, you see it everywhere you look, um, this idea of, of really tearing people down. And I know my husband was here probably talking a lot about that idea of building rather than tearing down. And that's, that's just something we're both really passionate about because what I'm seeing and what you're seeing is also what our kids are seeing. And that worries me a lot, that our kids are seeing us as adults behaving really terribly, you know, in the public sphere. Uh, when, we're, when our kids are, you know, really disappointed <laughs> that... Um, they're seeing people tearing each other down instead of building each other up. So that's really the impetus between, be, behind um, Show Up. It was really how do we create empathy? How do we create connection with people? We went through our campaign during COVID, and it was awful. And people, I have a friend, <laughs> mutual friend, that said, I think people are, have gone feral. And it's really sad. And we're, we want to get back to connection and belonging and um, empathy 
and all those things that, that I think are the most important things we can be doing right now, and that's what Show Up is all about. So really, there are four different focus areas. One is um, teacher wellness, taking care of our educators, giving them what they need to be successful to stay in their jobs. Number two is foster care. And you and I have had this conversation about foster care. These are the most vulnerable kids in our state. And we have to do more to connect with them, give them a sense of belonging, make sure that they have a safe, uh, inclusive home to be a part of and, and a community that surrounds them and uplifts them. And then third is dear to my heart, my background is in special education. Unified Sports is a, a program of the Special Olympics where kids with and without disabilities play on the same teams together. It creates full school inclusion. inclusion. It changes the entire environment of a school when, when it's being implemented. And then last is service. It's just this idea of reconnecting our communities. Well, let's start with the first one around teachers. It does seem like somehow teachers got political recently. Like, and you mentioned this thing where like it does feel like we're like so polarized, and what you what you and your husband try to do is kind of like rise above it. It almost seems like those who try to rise above it are then like placed in a certain can't like it. Kind of doesn't even matter. It's like kind of like right now not possible to rise above it. Um, or to have like, hey, we just want to get things done and build. If you're not, um, you know, kind of throwing bombs, then you're in a camp to the people who are throwing bombs, right? Like kind of no one's safe, which is really interesting. But this, the, the teachers being like a political thing and, um, you know, being attacked and things like that, um, how are they doing? I mean, you did this teacher summit um, and, and this event around this. How are Utah teachers and, and what can we do to help? Yeah, thank you. That's such a great question. Um, not well is the answer. Teachers are not well uh, right now, and we're trying to help change that. Um, they, so many educators, when I first got into this and we were trying to figure out what I knew I wanted to do something around education, really trying to help kids with their emotional intelligence skills. These are skills as business leaders. You're saying, you know, I need a kid that, or, you know, a human <laughs> person. Uh, an employee that understands how to work in a diverse group, that knows how to connect with their own emotions and how that works so that they are able to work with people and understand their emotions. And really that, that idea of all kinds of diversity, of thought, of you know, all different aspects, aspects of diversity. How do we get a, a a student to understand that to be the best kind of employee they can be. So that was our original intent. Like, we're really going to hone in on these, I mean, you can call them a hundred different things. Again, some of the terms have become political, so I'm st I've stopped saying SEL, social and emotional learning, because weirdly that became political and I don't really understand why. But they're, you know, emotional intelligence skills, uh, you know, durable skills, whatever you want to call them, these are critical. And what we do, what we know is that these, um, when these skills are taught and understood and mastered, then uh, the academic skills and the academic performance actually goes up about 20% in our schools. I mean, this is, this is data that's really powerful. So we know it's important, but for some reason, you know, when the teachers, I was like, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna give teachers this curriculum, we're gonna, you know, help them to understand this. And as I spoke to educators over and over and over and over again, the message was, we need these skills. We're not okay right now. We're being attacked from every side. We have parents, we have leaders in the community that are saying that we're doing terrible things. 
And we're not. We were doing the same thing we were doing, you know, a year and a half ago when we were be call being called heroes. And, and even more so, it's even getting harder. So what we did was really pivot that area to say we're going to actually, instead of trying to get this to our students directly, we're going to give these skills to our teachers. We're going to make sure that they have the skills, the resources, the tools that they need to be successful because, as you know, in this environment, they can be doing almost anything else. And if we're not careful, we won't have a workforce if we don't take care of our teachers. So that's where we're focused. Why don't teachers make money? <laughs> that's a great question. Um, it's really a, a, a priority thing. What are we prioritizing as a, as a state? And, you know, we keep... The, the really tricky answer to that is that there's, you know, formula for the, the taxes and all the yeah, things yeah. that go on. Um, I will say that we have some really good news in the works. I won't, I won't spill it out yet because it's still in the works, but there is some, you know, some talk about getting money directly to teachers. We do believe in local control. We want that to be a thing. Um, and so those decisions, the decisions that are being made at the local level are good, but we, but sometimes the, the paying or the increases that we give to, to education as a whole do not always make it, you know, in that particular district a priority to give that to teacher salaries. But what we have to do is really spread the message of, you know, we can, and here at Silicon Slopes, we believe in technology, right? In Utah, we have a great tech sector. We believe in technology and we believe that that enhances education, but it does not replace a teacher. There, that is the one thing that we cannot misunderstand that a teacher is the biggest influence for how that student um, becomes successful. Yeah, it seems like that's so tied into it, because like you said, they could literally be doing anything else, and that's true when you're not making, I mean, you really gotta be passionate and, and love it. Um, the, the second part of what you're working on is foster care. Uh, a lot of people know I, I spent the first couple of years of my life in foster care, so it's, so it's an issue um, that, that I care about. Why did you focus on that, though? I, th I thought that was really cool. Yeah, um, I always, you know, when you get passionate about something, it's because you've had an experience. And for you, you know, you were literally first-hand experience. For me, it was second-hand experience. It was, um, I had a family that I was really close to, um, a neighbor, a, a friend in, the, in my congregation talked to me uh, about this because they were, they were deciding to foster. And so I, I kind of lived it through her, for through their eyes. I actually had a couple of different friends in, in my area. One was a family who decided to, you know, they had kids my kids' ages, and then when they were older and, you know, almost all out of the house, decided to foster and adopt a sibling group of five at the same time. And I, and I watched her do this, and I kind of, you know, went to her and asked her questions, and, you know, we're really great in Utah to, you know, bring a meal when somebody has a baby. I mean, you think, and so in my mind, I thought, my goodness, we, when you have quintuplets in this country, you get a reality show, you get a year's worth of diapers and formula. And I just watched this woman and this family take in five kids at the same time and love them and give them love and belonging in, our, in their home. 
what are we doing? What I felt, I walked away and said, I'm a terrible friend. What am I doing to help them to make this easier for them? Because foster families, again, this is a really tough environment to be doing this in. And we need to give those kids the best possible outcomes. And what we know is that when kids have that one caring adult in their life, their success rates, you know, their, you know, being able to, to stay out of poverty, to be able to stay out of, you know, jails, incarceration, um, drug addiction, suicide. Our foster kids are at the highest risk for those things. And if we're not taking care of them, I think as a society, we're failing. And so how are we, how are we doing since all, since all of this, uh, yeah, like, are, what are some of the like practical things that are happening in the foster care space? Yeah, so one of the things that we're, our team is doing is really, first of all, just creating an environment where families can have some access to, you know, think about uh, a family that like this, that, that had five kids all at once and they have a few of their own still. How do you, how do you take a kid to, how do you go to the zoo? How do you even have an experience that other kids are having, other families are having? You know, how do you go to the, to the water park? You can't possibly afford that or you can't possibly do that with, without help. So we've been creating these family nights out, these foster family nights out. Um, the other really big thing that we're going to be pushing out in the next few months is an ad campaign around what can we do as communities to help each foster family. And especially, we have this, there's sort of the foster families and then there's this group of what we call waiting kids. There's about 150 kids in the state on any given year that age out of the system without a family, without a home. So that's going to be a huge focus coming up in the next little while for us, like year or two years, however long we're here. It's going to be how do we flip that list? We feel like we can be the first state in the nation. And there's, I believe that if it can be done, it can be done in Utah. And we want to have families waiting for kids and not kids waiting for families. And in order to do that, what we need to do is when we identify somebody that's ready to foster and adopt one of these kids, we then create a care community around them of 10 families. So think about this in your congregation. Think about this in your company. Think about this, you know, in your service organization. Whatever that looks like, we're, we're really working with our interfaith community to start this in our congregations. But think about a family in your congregation that decides that, that this is for them. You know, it's, I feel like a, a called to do this at this moment, that my family can do this. A lot of us can't. A lot of us in that moment can't. So one family's going to do that. They foster and they adopt this child. Then what we do, it's tough. I mean, these kids have been through hell. They have been through the worst of the worst. And they have a lot of um, emotional and every other kind of trauma. So how do we make sure that this family doesn't bear that entire burden alone? Then we set up and help them set up a support network of 10 families around them that are there to take care of this family. So think about it like maybe I become a, a respite, somebody that, you know, I, I go through to the training so I can be a respite care for that family. So that if they need to leave this child, I'm available to do that. That's pretty involved too. Maybe on the other side, I could, all I can do in my life at this moment is bring a pizza on Friday night to this family. And maybe that's what they need on that day. So 
that's what I mean by this care community. Maybe I have a business like, like all y'all, and I can be a mentor to this student, this child that's going through the system right now, and, and then I can help them to see what they can be. Can you imagine? Clint comes in and talks to this kid and says, I've been where you've been. Yeah. I understand what you're going through. Let me help you. Maybe I have an internship. Maybe I have some work experience. Maybe you just come to my family home evening or whatever it is that, that we're doing. Um, so that's what we're doing in foster care. It's a big lift. Um, we're just getting it underway shortly. How do I vote for you? <laughs> right? I'm saying really apolitical. <laughs> Uh, one more thing on the foster care thing. Uh, it, I, I, you know, foster care eventually uh, should, if done right, lead to adoption. And how... I, I, will, I will just stop you there. Yes for the waiting kids. No for just uh, kids that really the first step, we want reunification. It actually oh, has the least amount of trauma uh, available. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't so, that. so really the first goal of foster care is reunification and working with that biological family to get their to get their lives in order so that reunification can happen. That's the number one goal for foster care is reunification. Beyond that, we we really look for, you know, uh, kinship placements because again that reduces the amount mm. of trauma. We're trying to at every step reduce trauma, not add to it. But for those waiting kids, yes, the absolute goal for them is is adoption and what are the obstacles and challenges associated there yeah so the really a big challenge is finding the the right fit for a family and a child so think about what we're seeing and we need foster families so if this is again if this is something that you are feeling like maybe this is something i could do or i feel like this is this could be a part of our family right now please reach out i've got my team back here and we can we can we can help you connect you there but really the 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 really tough thing is that we're finding that for foster families we have a lot of these kids that are kids of color and we we have kids think about you know a kid that's already had trauma that's had to clearly they've been removed for some reason um, so that was hugely traumatic then you have if you take this child who maybe speaks spanish and you know is connected into a, a family that that has a certain um, culture, and you s plop them in a family that doesn't speak that language, doesn't have that culture, doesn't look the same, doesn't you know are not connected into the community. That adds another layer of trauma. So what we're really trying to do too is find families, families of color, families that have. Um, that speak certain languages. Also, families that are LGBTQ safe. About 30% of our waiting kids identify as LGBTQ. So if you, again, if you are trying not to add trauma, you don't put a child in a family and in a situation where they're not feeling safe in their identity. So that's another thing. So if those are the kind of recruiting we need to recruit families that that are doing all those things but all families right now we because of the the current economy because of the current inflation we have a lot of our current uh, licensed foster families that are choosing not to take placements right now 
uh, because it's just too much of a burden. We're, we're working really hard with, with our HHS department to say, can we, I mean, the, the amount of money that families get just to feed them when they come into their home has not changed since the 1990s. So we're trying really hard to make sure that we can up that to, just so that, I mean, so you can feed the kids that come into your home. By the way, be thinking of questions because I'm going to open it up to questions here, here in a sec. Um, the, the third thing you're focused on is special education. What are some kind of the challenges and obstacles there and how can we help there? Yeah, the, challenge in, the challenges and obstacles are basically us being able to get out to the schools and just have giving them an experience because we were just at Westlake High School in Saratoga Springs. They have just become today a Special Olympics Unified Champions Banner School. Now what that means is they have these programs of unified sports where kids with all abilities play on the same teams together. They're sanctioned by USHAA. So these are sanctioned just like any other sport in the high school. And they get, which means they get travel, you know, busing, and they get uniforms, and they get equipment, and all those things. They're being sanctioned. The schools that are participating in it right now will, I mean, just, just come to an event. We, we had one at RSL. We're going to have another basketball, a unified basketball tournament in, at Weber State in March. All you, do, all you have to do is just come. We just have to bring schools, we have to bring folks in that want to sponsor this, and they, they come to an experience, and they walk out, and they say, take all my money. Because it is really the most joyful, wonderful thing you will ever experience. And the schools that are participating in it right now, I mean, it's no problem. It's no problem to recruit if we just get people in there to experience it. And then what we've had a lot of success doing, and so if you have students or if you are a part of a, you know, a district community, we're going through our education foundations. We were just speaking with Alpine School District. Their foundation, if you have any connection with their foundation or want to give to the foundation so that they can do unified sports in every school, right now I think there's a few schools in Alpine that are not participating. And we're, what we can do is you give to the, the Education Foundation. The Education Foundation then is able to bring in that money. They already have that sort of ability to, to collect uh, donations. And then they partner with Special Olympics for matching grants. And um, it's just a phenomenal thing. And I have to say, like, we did this in Davis County. Davis said we wanted them in all the schools, went through the foundation. They sponsored every one of the schools in Davis County. I talked to a teacher in Bountiful High School, and she said, it has changed, and, and you will hear this from everybody that participates in it, it has changed the entire culture of our school. It's not just, okay, now I'm going to be friends with somebody that has an intellectual disability. It's, okay, I've had this experience. Now, how do I think about somebody that, has, that is from a different country? that it's from a different race, that has a different religious background than I do, has all these different ways of including. And those kids, if you experience it just once with these kids, you will just be blown away. You will be so excited about the people that are going to be your employees in a few years, your business leaders here at Silicon Slopes, because these kids have learned that full inclusion means I can connect with everybody, no matter 
how different they are for me or how different they seem for me. It's amazing. So get involved. Again, we've got my team back there. If you have any questions about this, um, we would love to have you get involved in our unified sports program. Yeah, I think we know the Alpine School Foundation. We could do that, right? That, that feels. Like I told something. them we were coming, and yeah. we actually have a meeting next week. So yeah. Alpine School, uh, the foundation, the Education Foundation, they're ready to go. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, finally, uh, the, the fourth focus of Show Up Utah is service. And you and your husband, when you when you ran for governor, did something I've never seen a campaign to do. You did service projects throughout the state of Utah, so it's been kind of a core even at the, starting at the campaign. And it's but but why is that? Because Utah really is like service and serve. It's one of the uh, pillars of this organization. Organization where Learn Connect serve. Why do you think Utahns are so into service? Yeah, it is part of our DNA, which I think is lovely, and I think it's important. Um, we've always been the number one for, for volunteerism. We've always been number one for charitable giving, and I think it's just been part of who we are um, from, the, from the beginning, and it's been perpetuated over the years. I do want to point out that um, it, it's not always going to be the case if we're not intentional about it, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, you and I have a mutual friend, Owen Fuller, he uh, is part of the tech community. Um, Mark, I think, is his latest company. Yeah, CEO Mark. <laughs> and he came to us several years ago before, before we were even campaigning or even thinking about campaigning and uh, for, for governor. He was, Spencer was lieutenant governor at the time. And Owen said, you know, we were mulling over this idea. We had just gone through an election, and it was, you know, it was Obama and uh, Mitt Romney. Yes. And... Um, Owen actually had gone out and, and done some campaigning uh, for Mitt Romney and in like Ohio. And he said, it was, you know, I walked into to a home and they, you know, telling them this is what I'm about. And they looked at me like I was actually like the enemy, like very scary. And, you know, just that feeling of, of hatred. And you know, Owen was talking to us and he said, you know, each of those candidates spent a billion dollars. So think about this, two billion dollars. What did we get as a country for two billion dollars? Well, we got the same president that we would have gotten if we had spent nothing, zero. What, what could we have done with two billion dollars? Did it make the state, did it make the country better? I would argue no, I don't think it made the country better, that campaign. Could, and this was Owen's question, could a campaign, win or lose, make the state better? So that was the, that was the impetus for, for our thinking about how do we do a campaign, how would we put together a campaign that actually, whether we won or lost, could it make the state a better place? for having been through this campaign. Now, I don't know if we were successful. I hope that we made the state a better place because we chose to campaign that way. Um, but we didn't really care if we won or lost, and that is really the truth. The truth is, you know, we have a great life. We have a beautiful farm in, in rural central Utah, and we would have been thrilled to go home to the farm and, and be there and not be doing all this craziness. But could we do that? And that was, that was really what we, and it did, and we did it, and we went around to all 248 cities and towns in this state, which is really cool 
I would do it if you had five years. <laughs> we did it in a very short amount of time. Um, but really experiencing people in their communities was beautiful. They didn't care what you, I mean, they care, but they didn't, it wasn't crazy like we went and we planted trees and we had discussions and yes, they were important discussions about you know, what we believed and how we would govern and, and, and the things we would do. But really that sense of like, we're all just here building up our community was really powerful. So what, what we wanted to do and show up is continue that. We thought it was so powerful. We wanted to continue, especially, especially coming out of a pandemic where we had to be a part. And where being apart really did kind of make us not better people. And coming together was what we needed. We needed our communities to come back together. And so that's what we're trying to do with the service component of our show up initiative. That's cool. Uh, all right. So we're recording this. So we have a microphone, a couple microphones. So raise your hand. Um, and yeah, let's, let's start here. I'm not sure how old your children are now, but do you, what did you implement in your own family to encourage them to be service-minded, and what do you wish you would have done? Um, yeah, that's a great question. We actually took our, our oldest son, so he's 23 and a half now. He'll be 24 in January. So our oldest son, and we have four kids, three boys, one girl that's still in high school. The rest of, the rest of them are out of the house at SGU at, the, at, at school. Um, but we, we really did, like, the one week of our campaigning tour and going to all the <laughs> cities and towns and doing the service stuff, our oldest had just come back from his mission, and it was literally, like, the next week we decided, okay, this is the week we're going to take all of them. And it was summer, and we were out there. We had a big RV, and so we thought, this will be fun. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll play cards and do stuff. After about two days, they were, like, ready to kill each other. And by the fourth day, they called grandma from, we were in Emory County, they called grandma in, in Sampete County, which is about, you know, just over the mountain, and they said, come get us, we're done. <laughs> so that's what I wish, we, we were less successful there. We were trying to say, hey, this is, this is what we do. Um, so I think we've tried as a family to say, you know, without the craziness without you know a big bus or whatever to do this in we've tried to say like this is part of mental health this is part of um, really and the and the neuroscience proves that out that if we're when we're serving we're actually um, helping our own brain development but we're also being building something in the community um, so we've tried to do like just little things with our family not crazy I mean we we've done some dinners for refugees we just you know one day I saw a good friend of mine who runs an organization called uh, Utah Refugee Connection she was putting backpacks together for refugee children that are going back to school and um, so my kids and I just signed up on her website and went and put backpacks together so like it, it can be as simple as just like hey I saw something here I'd love to get involved and just just showing your kids each day that you know and then I, one more thing I will say that somebody told me this a while ago, and I've tried to do it. My, my daughter looks at me really weird, but I'm going to keep doing it because I think it's important. They said instead of asking your kid, like, what did you learn in school today? You know, what did you do? They say, who did you help? And so I asked my daughter, who did you help at school today? And you get a lot of, I don't know, but, like, we're still going to keep asking it. 
First, thank you for all you're doing. Uh, the positive energy is amazing. Um, I'm curious about the foster care kind of support system. Community Action Services provides something very similar, but it's focused on poverty. Are there any programs like that here in Utah County that you used as a model for the circle of support? Yeah, that's a great question. There are little pockets of people that are doing this, this idea of what we're calling care communities. And um, there, we work with an organization called America's Kids Belong. Um, and that's what I, I failed to say is that there's a lot of what, in every one of these focus areas, we do have incredible nonprofit partners and state agency partners and, you know, just partners across across the spectrum that are helping us. So we learn from them and we're, we're understanding how they're doing it. And we're there as a support. They're really doing the heavy lifting and the heavy work. Um, but there are, I, I can't, and, and we can connect with this. There are a few that, uh, that are using this model of care communities. Um, and I think there's, yeah, it's a model we can use for anything, not just foster families. But I, I think you as a business or you business leaders can do that because you think about in your business, say, you know, if there's, and some of us, this is a real struggle. Some of us live in places where we're not directly seeing poverty. We're not directly seeing a foster family every day with those struggles. And so it really is incumbent upon us to get out and, and expand our circle to, to be able to see some of those things that are happening so that we can c create those care communities. What do you and your husband talk about at night? Well, so I have this theory. Well, I don't think it's theory. I heard it somewhere. I don't know where I heard it. But, you know, men have a certain amount of words per day. <laughs> <laughs> and women have, like, an exponential amount that they just, it, it keeps growing. So a lot of times there are conversations where I'm doing a lot of talking because he's used all his words for the day. They're done. He's over. It's over. Um, but, no, we do, we, we do have really important discussions about our family mostly. Um, kids are hard. Uh, you know, we have adult kids and nobody warned us about adult children. So I blame anybody who has adult children that did not tell me. <laughs> we need, we need, uh, a, a, I need a support group for that. But yeah, we just, you know, he and I, we, we just this morning had a, had a conversation about a disagreement uh, about candidates that we disagree on. So we, you know, we don't agree on everything, but... Um, yeah, tell us more about that. Nope. <laughs> sure won't. <laughs> no, uh, how do you insulate your family and your relationship from the daily divisiveness, the, divisiveness, the partisanship, the attacks, I mean, uh, that come from all kinds, maybe like opponents from media, things like that. Like, how do you keep your relationship strong with all of that going on? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, obviously, you know, we're, we're a team, and, you know, as a family, I've really tried to keep, we've tried to keep our kids out of, the spotlight out of um, the politics and really allow them their ability to to have their own opinions and they do we try to keep them off social media because their opinions might get us in trouble <laughs> so they are very independent thinkers and I have to say one of the one of the big issues in schools right now is really having those you know honest and frank conversations a lot of our uh, of our um, 
social studies teachers, history teachers are really struggling, like I don't know what I can say and what I can't say. And as a parent, I will say that one of the, the greatest joys of my life is when my kids come home and say, this teacher said this, and mom, it, I disagree with it, and it, it doesn't feel right. And having that conversation, I mean, I don't go to the teacher and say, for heaven's sakes, don't you dare tell my kid that. I'm like, that is awesome. Like, I love having that kind of a conversation with my kids. There's been many times that they come home, mom, what about this? This kid said this, or this teacher said this, or this is, you know, what about that? And, and it's usually like they have real strong opinions, and I'm usually playing devil's advocate and saying, well, did you think about this? Well, what about this? Well, I know somebody that experienced this. And I think the way that we do that, you know, I think it's important to do that in the, in the country, but also, you know, within our families. But also, like, let's talk about what's real and what's not real. Like, let's not, you know, social media is not real most of the time. I mean, it really isn't. And so we have to let kids know that, like, this is not real. And what, you're, what we're experiencing here as humans is real, and it's really important to have that. So we try to, frankly, I haven't done so much social media in the last probably three years. Um, most of the stuff I do is really just around, you know, telling the story about what Show Up's doing. Um, but I've tried to keep my kids off that as much as possible. Um, I try to explain to them that this it's not doing you any good to sit there and try to fight with somebody on social media. It, it's not helping you. It's not helping them. You're not, nobody's learning anything from that experience. I said something similar at Summit. I said uh, one of these years, I think it was two years ago, I said, yeah, I said Twitter is not real life. The work happens outside of social media. And somebody tweeted at me that Twitter's more real life than real life. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, so that didn't work. Somebody's real life. <laughs> Uh, how do you want your tenure as first lady to be remembered, no matter how long it is? Because, um, you know, there's elections every four years. But how would you want to be remembered as, as uh, one of Utah's first ladies? Well, I hope and it won't. And then eventually governor. But Yeah. <laughs> I hope it won't be me that's remembered. I hope it will be um, my unified sports teams. I hope it will be that the, the foster kids that found love and connection are the thriving adults and leaders in the world. Um, I hope that you know the communities that turn out to serve are you know better and uplifted, and they become the youth become the leaders that um, that show us and take care of the problems that we created. Um, I guess that's what I would like to I would like to be remembered, not me, but the people that. Um, our organization is helping to uplift. That's what I hope is remembered. Please join me in thanking the First Lady Abby Cox for joining us. Thank you so much. Happy Friday. Enjoy your food. Thank you so much. Thanks, Clint. Thank you, guys.